0: That is the sound of me being more than hyped for the Bruins game tonight. What is going on, everybody? I am your host, James Murphy, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. It is a pleasure to have you on this Monday. Hopefully, you had a fantastic weekend it was raining, it was freezing, it was windy. Weather-wise, the weekend sucked, but we did have a phenomenal Bruins game one win that I'm going to go over in just a few moments, and then on Sunday, we had a a miserable, miserable Celtics loss yesterday, but if we just retrace our steps a little bit further, we can talk about the Bruin, uh, the Celtics' Game 3 win, if we want to do that. But, I mean, how can I when We're just so freaking hyped. Like, the pure energy that is flowing through me right now is unbelievable. The electricity is... It's crazy. It's crazy how electrifying the garden was on Saturday for the Bruins. And even after the first goal was given up by Tuukka Rask and the Bruins, you could still feel it. You could still feel the energy in the garden on Saturday night. It was unfreaking believable. Even, even the energy in Friday, even though it wasn't even as nearly close of a crowd as it was for the Bruins on Saturday, but you could still feel the energy. It was just flowing. It was pumping. It was exciting. Playoff uh, Boston sports has arrived. Although the Bruins have been going for, you know, a couple weeks now, but the Celtics being at home, it just felt right. And although the series is going down a shithole, as we can get into a little bit later, but the Bruins, holy smokes, the Bruins. I am more than ramped up, excited, and thrilled to be talking about a game one victory that the Bruins endured in the first game of the second round against the New York Islanders. Where do I even begin? Holy smokes. Let's talk about this 39 shots on net, 35 saves by Ilya Sorokin, four goals allowed. It is what it is. And all they kept doing, the announcers and those that are covering the game, all they did was keep talking about how Sorokin loves to get more pucks, you know, shot at him. Like he gets better with more shots he faced. And that was relatively true for maybe tw- uh, 25 shots or so. But me, I've been saying to get pucks on the net. If you shoot the puck 40 times, You're going to get some of them in. That's just a fact. And I'll go into how the Bruins have been really good at limiting shots. I mean, they only gave up 22 shots in the first game while they they shot 39 times. If you shoot 39 times, pucks are going to go in the net. But they just kept saying, oh, the more shots he faces, the better he gets. Oh, well, really? Like, bitch, really? Dude gave up four goals for a .897 save percentage. Now, the fifth goal was an empty netter, so that really doesn't count. Actually, it doesn't count against Sorokin, but come on. That can't be the claim tonight. And actually, uh, Varlamov, their other goalie, is in, I believe, what I heard, is starting tonight, which I don't think the Islanders lost the game because of Sorokin. I mean, a couple great shots by the Bruins, and I'll go into the goals right now, actually, where we saw three goals, a Hattie, hats off, to uh, David Pasternak. We saw a goal by Charlie McAvoy, and that was it. Who had the empty netter? Uh, Oh, Taylor Hall. Well, Taylor Hall didn't have the empty netter, but Taylor Hall did get the goal. Like, I mean, five goals, you're going to win. I think you're going to win. And I said, I will say that I did say, I will say that I did say, yeah, it's going to be a low-scoring game. And it was. It was a relatively low-scoring game. It was 2-2 going into the third. Then the Bruins just clamped down and played their style of hockey. And that was passing, finessing, running the offense. They just drained the New York Islanders, and they couldn't keep up. But in the first two periods, it seems like the Bruins were just pounding, physical, rough, and rowdy, like the Capitals were, right? The Bruins played up to the Capitals because they had to. They had to match that level of intensity and physicality. And although that's not the Bruins' play style that I've mentioned, and they can play up to it, but in game one for the first two periods, that was them. They were that rough and rowdy, physical, intense, I'm going to smash your head into the boards and then rub it in the ice. That was their play style. And that's going to really wear down the Islanders because they can play like that because they're a tough defensive team. But how long until they break? Because only two goals... And they did give up five as a team. They were The Bruins were able to kind of slack off a little bit in terms of, you know, really trying to put the puck in the net once they got up 4-2. That's when they switched back to that whole, I'm going to pound you into the board uh, style of game. So real quick, let's just talk about some notables where we saw uh, three points on three assists from David Krejci with four shots on goal. The star of the night, David Pasternak, three goals, three points, seven shots. Patrice Bergeron, eight shots with two assists. Taylor Hall, five shots, one goal. Uh, Brad Marchand, four shots on net with one assist. Charlie McAvoy, two shots with one uh, one goal. And really, that's kind of it. Chris Wagner with three shots for uh, for, for goodness, right? I mean, why not, right? But yes, Tuca Rass, 22-shot attempts with 20 saves, only giving up two goals. I really think Tuca has been locked in this playoff series. Not just this series, but this whole playoff run through six total games. Hopefully, we can see that continue here in Game 2, which I am expecting. Now, we do have to expect the Islanders to make adjustments, right? When you lose a game, no matter what sport it is, you are the team that's going to make more adjustments. And when you're the team that wins, it's hard for you to make adjustments because you have to see that the other team is going to change things up a little bit. But what are they going to change up? You don't exactly know. So, for the Islanders, what, what can they do? Well, they did. They played excellent defense for a great stretch during that game. The Bruins could not enter the their, the Islanders' blue zone for the life of them. Whether it was on the power play or five on five, they could not do it. And it took the Bruins a while. It took them until like the second period or so to finally get into the uh, the offensive end consistently. What can the Island do? Islanders do? Well, maybe uh, try to shut that down more. Be more of a you know literal blue line team. Don't let them past you kind of a team. It will be interesting to see how Varlamov plays tonight if he is truly starting. Like I said, I heard it through the grapevines. I don't know exactly how true it is, but I'm sure it is um, relatively true because they do have two good goalies that they can kind of switch off, go back and forth, whatever it may be. Though the Bruins do have two good goalies themselves, obviously with Tuka Rask and Jeremy Swayman. Just Jeremy Swayman doesn't have any playoff experience yet. So maybe, depending on how this game goes or how the series go, you know, if there's, you know, a three, four goal lead or whatever, it'd be nice to kind of see him get in just to get his feet wet here in the playoffs. Whether it's, uh, you know, if you're winning by three, four goals or if you're losing by three, four goals, it doesn't really matter. It would just be nice to get his feet wet a little bit because, God forbid, anything happens to Tuka Rask. We're going to need someone there, and Halak is uh, the third goalie, obviously, because we haven't seen him at all so far, and Swayman is the guy on the bench. But what else can the Islanders do? I, I mentioned that they're not a good 5-on-5 team, and we were able to see that. They were able to get one goal, a snipe shot from the top from, uh, who was it? Was it oh uh, Adam Pellick? Snipe shot. Laser that went right by two Bruins and went right by to Garrasque way too late before he realized that it was there. Absolute missile. I was bamboozled of that shot. It really killed the energy because the Bruins just went up 2-1 in the garden for the first lead of the game and of the series. Absolutely killed the vibe and the energy. But nonetheless, the Bruins were able to recoup from that. Other than that, their other goal by um, Anthony Be- uh, Bay-Villier. That was a power play goal. That was a power play goal. So, I mean, are they going to be able to just hope for the power play and get their goals that way? Well, the Bruins have a fantastic penalty kill, and you can't really rely on getting penalties because you don't want to be a team that flops and looks for penalties and all that. I mean, you're just not going to get them in the NHL. You might get it in the NBA or the NFL, but not here in the NHL. You're not going to get that. I've really liked... The defense that I saw from the Bruins, they really clamped down and really kind of exposed the Islanders a little bit, especially in terms of the Islanders' offense being kind of a little lackluster. I'm not going to lie. I mean, obviously, only two goals, one being a power play, only getting 22 shots on, right, 22? Yeah, only getting 22 shots off. I mean, there's nothing more you can ask for the Bruins from this from game one. You really can. I really think overall it was a fantastic game. Bruins had a little bit of a rust period being in the first period because I think the, the layoff. They had, uh, I don't know exactly, what was that Saturday? Oh, goodness, Saturday. To, oh, yeah, so they didn't play since Sunday, May 23rd, was their last game, that was game five against the Islanders, uh, the Capitals, excuse me. So six days off. A little bit of rust right there. I think they, you know, took him about a a period or so to completely, you know, brush it off. But after that, they were on it. And who was on it? It was David Pasternak. Because you know, big thing about him is that he doesn't play well in the playoffs. You can point to the 2019 playoffs. You can point to last year's playoffs. But this year, I think he's lasered focused. He's really flexing his muscle as a top ten, potentially a top five forward scorer in this league here in the playoffs I mean you can do it all in the regular season like he's been able to do in his career but it's going to count and only going to count here in the playoffs and that is what he's doing he's living up to that hype that the playoffs is where the money is made and Pasternak is doing exactly that Taylor Hall like I said got another goal continues to impress here in the playoffs really looking like his MVP self and the trade with the uh, Buffalo Sabres honestly is looking like you stole from them I understand that you gave... Oh, who was it that you gave up? I know you gave up the second-round pick. I forget the other guy. It was another forward who was a healthy scratch oftentimes. But who, oh, God. I, the name is going to escape and bother me. I have to go look it up real quick. All right, when was your last game against the Sabres here? Oh, goodness. Oh, Anders Bjork. That's right. Anders Bjork. So... <laughs> And you got Curtis Lazar, too, in return for Taylor Hall, whose contract was basically all but paid for, so it was easily able to go under your cap. Hopefully, you can re-sign him. I mean, obviously, I'm jumping ahead now, but he is a detrimental piece to that offense because he just gives you a whole nother level of second-line scoring, obviously, special-team scoring, and just someone who knows how to handle the puck because you know, Patrice Bergeron... One of your, your greatest players probably in history. And Bruins have a deep history. Um, Pasternak and Marshand, as flashy and great of players as they are. I just, you know, after watching Taylor Hall for the couple months that he's been here, he just does it differently. He just absolutely does it differently. The way he's able to deke and control the puck with his forehand, backhand, getting crazy shots off. Man, he's been such a wonderful addition to this team and someone that you definitely need to uh, strongly consider bringing back, obviously, if the price is right for both sides. What am I looking for for the Bruins here in Game 2? Tonight, in about four minutes, because it is 726 right now, in about four minutes or so, the Bruins will be uh, playing against the Islanders for their Game 2 matchup, and I will be recording live during that game which I love doing, I love recording during the games, whether it's for the Celtics or the Bruins here come to playoffs, what do I expect? One, continue to be a physical oppressor. The Islanders can take it, but how long are they going to be able to take it till they can break? Because they're not that kind of team. They can play that way just like the Bruins were able to play that way against the Capitals. But that's not the Bruins' play style, but we're seeing that it is. And that's a completely different approach and strategy for uh, Bruce Cassidy and the Bruins. And I'm actually really liking it because the more you hit them into the boards, the more you're going to wear them down, the more you're going to break them down. So come a game, four, five, six, even if if it gets that far, they're not going to be ready. They are not going to be ready. And obviously, on the other hand, too, you have to expect them to potentially give the blows as well. So look out for that because you don't want it to you know, bite you in the ass and wear you down, right? So be a physical oppressor. Really beat the Islanders down and play your style of game, whether it is going to be the physical oppressor or if it's going to be the very offensive-orientated pass the puck around, generate a lot of offense, and generate a lot of shots. Two, I just mentioned it, generate shots. Put pucks on the net. You put a tremendous amount of pucks on the net all, all playoffs long, stick to it like I said 39 40 shots you're gonna get a few to go in you have way too good of a team and way too good of an offensive attack to put 40 pucks on the net and not get 40 um to to get none of them to go through so put pucks on the net whether it's during the power play whether it's during five on five if it's a good shot if it's a bad shot a shot is a shot you have to shots shot 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 I'm just kidding but yes get good shots take good shots put pucks on the net put the pressure on Varlamov because if anything bad happens in this game for the Islanders and Varlamov, they are going to pull him and go to Sorokin and he's kind of having a rough game. He had a rough game one, so his mental mindset could not be right and nothing is more delicate and fragile than a goalie's mindset because if you have a goalie that is completely locked in, you have a phenomenal chance of doing wonders and if you have a goalie whose mind is just shit right not focused you know puddling them pants you know just really you know pooping themselves you know when they skate on the ice you're gonna lose i mean we, we've seen that plenty of times we've seen both of it both uh sides of a goalie in Tuka rask before the lasered in lock and loaded tuka, and we've seen the tuka that has vomited all over his sweater and shit in the back of the net it's just how it is right now he's locked in i'm loving what i'm seeing and hopefully we can get to their goalie, Varlamov, and make him shit himself. Third point. Third point that I'm looking forward uh looking forward to in this game is just win. Just win. No matter what you have to do. Win the game. Because if you can go up two nothing on this Islanders team, it might be a wrap. Because I don't I don't think it's the biggest game of the year for them because they were down two to one to uh Pittsburgh after Winning the first game and then losing the next two. So in that game four, I was telling Kim this earlier, that tonight is not their biggest game of the season. It's their second biggest game of the year. Because after winning the first, you know, the Islanders series against uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they won the first one and then they lost the next two. In game four, if they lost that game four, they were going down three games to one. If they were able to win, they tied the series up at two here in this series if the islanders lose this game they only go down two games to none or if they win this game it is a series tie at one to one so it's not their biggest game of the year yet but it certainly could look that way you know come game three as long as the bruins take care of business here in game three on home ice you cannot surrender home ice to the new york islanders you have to make sure that you take care of business Here at home, go to New York with a 2-0 series lead where you can maybe give up a game there so you can come back, still have home ice. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself because we do have a big game that's going to be starting with a puck drop relatively soon. Game 7 for the uh, Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs are also going on tonight, which I will be poking my head in and out of throughout the night, maybe not on the podcast, but definitely throughout the night. So definitely stay tuned for that because that is a big series right there. Two good teams going at it. And I just turned the Bruins on and they're just reflecting on game one. So we still have a little bit of time there. But that's going to be my Bruins minute right there. I will obviously be watching the game throughout the rest of this podcast recording, poking my head in and out, and of course doing what I have to do to make sure I keep watching the game. I have to watch the game and also record this episode at the same time, right? Oh. 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 Here we go. Oh, 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 oh. Oh yeah. That that just gets me every single time. I love that that song with the Bruins bear just dancing like on the concourse. Just like, uh, uh. But yeah, you know, as much as I love it for the Bruins, and I'm enjoying this playoff run for the Bruins. I am miserable for the Celtics. I am freaking miserable for the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum, 40 minutes played, in game four, drops 40, still loses. Ah, uh, What the hell was that noise? I don't know what that noise was. So I'm just going to turn down my computer because I don't know what that was. But, <laughs> but yes, the Celtics are now officially Down three games to one to the Brooklyn Nets as we go back to Brooklyn for Game 5 of that series, which is tomorrow at 7.30. Let's first talk about Game 3 because that was a big Game 3 for the Celtics because otherwise the series would be over right now. And what a game that was. They actually almost blew it. They had a double-digit lead at a lot of points. They, you know, really took control of that game, played their style of basketball and not the Brooklyn Nets. They were down by like 20 points in the first quarter, but we were able to overcome it, which was awesome. Durant drops 39, Harden drops 41, Kyrie only drops 16 because he's a freaking bitch. Not going to go into it. Not going to go into it. But yes, you were able to win game three, 125 to 119 with the helping of a 50 bomb by Jason Tatum five zero points also contributing 17 from Evan Fournier 19 from Tristan Thompson with 13 rebounds dude was cleaning up every rebound every offensive rebound he was going in grabbing putting back for the dunk he was electrifying like I've mentioned he's really grown on me I wasn't I was a fan of the signing at the beginning of like the offseason last year because it gives you a veteran presence someone who can clean up offensive boards play in some defense and he wasn't that player he really wasn't that player, you know, for a good chunk of the season, which is fine. I mean, no, it's not fine, but everyone has their ups and downs, and Tristan Thompson, people kind of saying he's washed, and he looked washed for a lot of the season. But, boy, did he have a massive Game 3. Holy shit, he had a huge Game 3. Uh, game 3, 23 points from Marcus Smart as well, and Kemba, 6 points in 34 minutes. <sighs> And he didn't play in Game 4, and he's doubtful for Game 5. Robert Williams also only had 6 minutes in Game 3. Missed the rest of the game. Didn't play in Game 4. Most likely not going to play in Game 5 as well. Man, that's so tough. That is so tough because, obviously, I've mentioned this. You need Kemba to be that second scorer for your team. Rob, uh, Rob Williams a Time Lord is a up-and-coming young guy who has a lot of talent through the roof. And if we remember, look back to the draft three years ago. He slipped in the draft because of a back injury. And it looks like he was uh, kind of recovered uh, from that back injury, but just injuries in general. And the injury bug is still getting him, and it's getting him pretty good. But, man, not having Rob Williams or Kemba Walker for Game 5. Or Game 4, period, but then also Game 5 is a massive tough blow and it just basically wraps up the series is there really much to talk about i mean you got absolutely torched by the nets in game four 141 126 126 is a great score i mean that should win you a game like seven eight out of ten times right that should you know you got 40 points from tatum 16 from fournier uh 16 from smart 12 from peyton pritchard and then 11 from Aaron E. Smith and 10 from Jabari Parker. So you're getting some good secondary scoring. And you're getting the scoring up top from Jason Tatum. But like I said, there's no um, Kemba Walker to be there to uh, help uh, help Tatum score. And then when you look at the Nets, 42 from Durant. Kyrie Irving, 39. 23 from uh, James Harden. 14 points from Bruce Brown Jr. 14 from Joe Harris. Man, they're just putting up points left and right. And honestly, it's not just their big three. Although, you know, Durant, Harden, and Kyrie are putting up, you know, 30s and 40 spots on you. But, oh, man. I think this game's a wrap. I said it when they went down 2-0. Winning game three was nice. Didn't really, you know, I was out and about, you know, with some friends saying, like, I just think the full house at the Garden's only going to carry you so far in the game. Maybe till halftime and then... the skill level discrepancy is really going to show. We were able to get through a quarter before the Nets were able to flex and be like, listen, we're the favorites here, not you. We got the star power, not you. So <sighs> Celtic season just about done, just about to wrap up. Game five tomorrow night in Brooklyn, New York. Tomorrow, 7.30 tip off. Nets lead the series 3-1. to What are three things? that I'm looking forward to in this game five. One, defense. You have to slow this team down. You gave up only 104 points in game one. That's doable. I, and I said on Fridays, you got to keep them under 100. I do. I, you know, I guess 104, I'll settle for 104. 130 in game two. Uh, 119 in game three. 141 in game four. You're going to lose those games. And you were lucky to win game three because you scored more at 125. I don't think the offense is the problem. I mean, 108 in game two, 125 in three, and 126 in game four. It's just you have no defense. You have no answers for their big three. Now, I'm not saying that you can, you know, outshoot them, but you can at least try to, you know, out defense them, I guess. I don't know. You have Marcus Smart. You have Tristan Thompson as very. Not high on uh semi ogelet at least he can play some defense right tatum's a very good defender himself what are you gonna do they have three superstar level talented players on their team and you can only slow them down so much and when durant's dropping 42 and irving's dropping 39 and you only getting 23 from harden what can you do what can you do i mean if you can stop them from having a 40 point score then maybe maybe so that's my first point is you have to play some defense you have to slow that team down I'm not going to say go punch for punch because you're not going to be able to but if you can play some defense you will be in an okay spot to put yourself in an okay position to potentially win that game and when I say potentially I mean like a 20% chance because it is looking very slim and glim right now as it is. Point number two, you need to find other offense than just Jason Tatum. I love the superstar player that he's turning into. I do not know if him dropping 40 and 50 points every night is sustainable. It certainly looks like it from, you know, games three and four, but let's not forget games one and two, he did struggle a little bit. So dropping 40 by Tatum is not a guarantee, but getting 40 by Durant, Irving and or Harden almost is a guarantee so you need to try to find secondary scoring but you you cannot rely solely on Jason Tatum 48 16 smart 16 nice nice okay but can we get someone else to maybe score 20 or get maybe like six or seven players in double digits or at least well into double digits because the bench has shrunken a little bit we just need to get more production from them and the third point that I have for this game, I don't even know. I just don't even know. I I I don't know if I have a third point because like where where can you point and be like, ooh, the Celtics could could have an advantage there and they could exploit that in efforts to potentially win. Coaching, I guess. Let's let's go with coaching. I mean, let's go with coaching because. I think Brad Stevens, and I think a lot of people would agree that Brad Stevens is a superior coach compared to Steve Nash, because Steve Nash really doesn't have to do all that much coaching when you have Durant, Harden, and Irving, right? Let's be honest. Stevens, on the other hand, has gone a lot of heat, a lot of scrutiny for his coaching this season, past seasons as well. Is he the guy for the job for the Celtics? I even talked about it on, I don't know if it was Wednesday's or Friday's episode. I think it was Friday's. But... You know, Steven's job could potentially be on the line. And here we go. The game is starting. We are about to get underway here at the garden. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, oh. oh I love that bear. That Bruin. All right. So, yes, game one is about to have puck drop. Here we go. And, oh, yeah, let's go. Bruins win it nice and cleanly. Let's get that offense going. And we already gave it up. Wonderful. So that's going to wrap up my Celtics segment take there. Like I said, I I just don't really know what to expect from – I'm sorry, not the Bruins. I'm sorry, the Celtics. I don't really know what to expect from them in an elimination game. Are they going to rise up to the occasion in Brooklyn, in enemy territory – against a star studded brooklyn nets team i just don't know i don't see it beginning of the series i said four or five games i really thought it was going to be a sweep surprised they were able to win one but you know what i will take it and i will run with it but let's not expect too much but if you guys you know have a different opinion about it and you guys think that the bruins uh, bruins my goodness i'm watching the bruins and i'm talking about the celtics if you guys think that the Celtics actually have a chance or if they can do something, exploit something that the Nets you know, are vulnerable to, let me know down below in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. If you are watching or if you're listening on audio-only platforms, please reach out to me on social media. Anywhere you can find social media, that's where you can find me. At Murphs underscore Boston ST where the ST stands for sports talk. I ran out of characters in the username, so I had to put ST there. But yes, reach out to me on social media. Comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. I want to hear your thoughts about the Celtics situation with their series against the Brooklyn Nets. You guys have heard mine. You've heard me rant about the Celtics this year, and you know how pessimistic I am in terms of their playoff hopes and dreams. And so far, it's being crushed and crumbled. But you know what? That's just how it goes when you don't, you know, execute an off season and you don't put together a team that can win in this league because in this in today's game in basketball it's all about the stars on your team it really is it's all about the stars and the Brooklyn Nets have three of them you have I mean Jalen Brown's not a superstar yet Tatum is a fringe super, superstar so that's just how it's gonna go and you know We'll just have to wait and see how the series plays out tomorrow. 7.30 in Brooklyn for Game 5. Celtics facing elimination for the first time this year. And I'm very interested to see how they play. If they get absolutely blown out and torch, man, they just gave up. But if they lose in a close game, final minutes or whatever, at least they gave it their all and they actually tried and attempted to win. And if they can't win because they don't have the talent, then so be it. But just don't get torched by like 20 or 30. Please, for the love of God. All right. So that is enough with the Celtics. Bruins after two and some change into the first quarter. Still 0-0. Nothing crazy going on. But I do have to talk about what we've been seeing with the Patriots because I feel like it has to be addressed. And I will get into the Julio Jones stuff in a minute. But let's talk about Mac Jones. Patriots, um... Training camp has opened up. A lot of players impressing across the league, not just at Patriots camp, across the league. Rookies, veterans, you know, players that have stuff to prove. They're starting, you know, they're impressing. But let's talk about Mac Jones. Obviously, first round pick, potential, well, hopefully, <laughs> the quarterback of the next 15 years for the New England Patriots. A lot of people were high on him. A lot of people were low on him. Some people think he is the guy. Some people think he's not. Coyle with a breakaway. Let's go. Let's go, Charlie Coyle. Ooh, ah, by the defender. Ooh, ah, by the goalie, and just like you know, ah, right in the net. Let's go. One nothing. The Garden's going nuts right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Let me watch this again. Who get who passed it to him? Oh, and I couldn't see I couldn't see his jersey. But yeah, passes up to Coyle. Goes by the defender. Just beats him to the puck, and then he's able to. Oh, go by Varlamov. Oh, what a goal. Oh, that was a bad attempt by Varlamov, their goalie. Oh, my God. He just, like, went for the puck, like, reached for it with his stick and, like, had his leg out to hopefully block the, you know, the left pipe. He wasn't anywhere close to it. Wasn't anywhere close to the left pipe. Oh, but let's go one nothing. Charlie Coyle. What a fantastic goal. Is that on sides? Oh, it's offsides. Okay, so anyways, back to Mac Jones. So this is an article by Mike, by Mike Reese, ESPN uh, New England Patriots insider, and he states on Mac Jones, Sometimes a first impression of a Patriot player at practice is so obvious you can't miss it. A few that come to uh, uh, mind over the years are Dion Branch's smoothness in and out of his breaks, Wes Welker's quickness and change of direction, Randy Moss's effortless gliding down the field while leaving defensive backs in his wake, and Jake Bailey's skyscraping punts. Mac Jones getting compared to some goats in a punter, but no, no, all all seriousness. No, um, Jake Bailey's a tremendous punter. I I don't want to get that mixed up. Um, continuing when it came to quarterback Mac Jones on Thursday, it was, wasn't as obvious as those examples. And perhaps that's because a razor sharp football mind is hard to sum up in one snapshot. That was one of the biggest takeaways from watching practice. Jones is putting himself in a position to possibly compete for the starting job come training camp in July because he's keeping up with the challenging mental aspect of the Patriots' playbook, which is notoriously known as one of the most dense playbooks in all of NFL because Tom Brady was you know, running that show with Bill Belichick, with Josh McDaniels, so that offense was just very in-depth and stoic. But Mac Jones is really able to keep up with that because relatively that playbook is still there although it has shifted because of cam newton's running prowess and his physical ability as a uh, mobile physical quarterback so anyways continuing with the article still this is uncommon for rookie patriots quarterbacks who are adjusting to the volume of information and also the fast pace in which coaches teach it it's a lot to process and that doesn't even factor in how simple shifts by the defense can require a reaction from the quarterback that changes everything in an instant So, obviously, Mac Jones is a smart guy. We knew that coming out of Alabama. He was, you know, coined like the smartest quarterback out of the group of five or just in the whole draft period. And he's really showing that off here at training camp so far in terms of the eyes of coaches, reporters, insiders, all the good stuff. And he's really showing that off as he's taking this dense, in depth playbook and really taking it all in, absorbing it. And like Mike Reese says, Rookie quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, Brian Hoyer back in the day, Ryan Mallett back in the day, all struggled to do that. Obviously, they weren't going to be starters or compete for the starting job because of Brady, but they were just in no position to do such because they just weren't in that position because of, they just didn't know the playbook at the time. And you can even look at Jared Stidham. He's, he could still potentially be learning the playbook, hence why Cam Newton may have been brought into this team and maybe why he was brought back because... Bill wasn't sold on using uh, the first-round pick on a quarterback, and Jackson may not have been ready. That is all very possible, and hence maybe why Mac Jones, when he was available at 15, was brought in because Stidham's not the guy because he doesn't know the playbook yet. Maybe Cam Newton doesn't even know the playbook. Maybe that's why Brian Hoyer is back, and I really think so because Patriots' offense for 20 years was with Brady, who is a pocket quarterback, and Cam Newton really changes that up But Brian Hoyer is as close to uh, the style of quarterback that Tom Brady is because Brian Hoyer is also a pocket quarterback. He's been under or, you know, backed up Brady for numerous years, so he knows a thing or two about that style and that offense, and I really think that's why Brian Hoyer is back in New England. Going back to the article here, although those lines... Every throw from Jones in 7-on-7 and 11-on-11 drills Thursday seemed to go in the right place. There was little, if any, indecisiveness. He's probably further along than any Patriots rookie quarterback at at this point than anyone who came before him. This is not to overlook Cam Newton, who on one play was put in a tough spot when running back Tyler Gaffney made the incorrect read to Carrasco. What a great save, and Newton was right on it, a reflection that his command of the offense continues to evolve so it's premature to write the veteran quarterback off. After this article, all the good stuff that I've said about uh, Mac Jones, I don't think he's going to be the starting quarterback come week one. I think the Bruins are going on the power play. I didn't see the play. Let me just look at it real quick. They're showing the goal. Okay. I don't think Mac Jones is going to be the starting quarterback come week one. I certainly don't think he's going to be the quarterback come week four when the Bucks and Brady come in. Could we see a game uh, week five or six? Yeah. I think it's very possible that Mac Jones, depending on how Cam Newton and the Patriots are playing, could be the starter come week five or six. Now, please pardon me. I am drinking a wonderful, delightful Twisted Tea beverage, half and half iced tea lemonade. I think it's my favorite flavor out of the Twisted Tea package. Let me know what yours is on social media or down in the YouTube comments. I want to hear it. So let me finish this article. I have one more. Sentence left to go. It was one day in shorts and t-shirts in May, which is critical context. But those seemed like encouraging signs for the Patriots. So everything that just happened, obviously this whole training camp period, is all in shorts and t-shirts. So let's just go slow with the whole Mac Jones thing, but it's still nonetheless excellent to see from him because rookie quarterbacks probably have the toughest transition to the NFL from college than any other position. I think if a wide receiver has great footwork, that footwork will transition. You may just need to get faster or whatever, or quicker cuts in and out. If you're a strong D lineman, you know, if you're stronger than the offensive lineman on the other side, it doesn't matter who it is, college or foot pros, you're stronger than them. And running backs, get the ball and go, right? So I think, you know, quarterback is the most important position in all of sports. And to see a rookie, Mac Jones, being able to, taken the offense and impressed so far 7 on 7 11 on 11 drills I think is very very encouraging although it is still very early and Nick Ritchie got tripped I still don't know who it was by Eberle so it'll be two minutes for tripping and the Bruins are on the power play with 13:37 left to go in addition to the whole Mac Jones you know rookie uh, not rookie camp but you know Pat's camp we also need to talk about Julio Jones. Who Leo Jones. So let me bring up that article that I had from Bleacher Report and it just talks about the other teams that could potentially be interested in Julio Jones because obviously it's not just the Patriots. I think every other team, all 31 other teams are interested in Julio Jones. It's just a matter of can you afford him? and are you willing to pay the package to bring him in now we've heard that the atlanta may only be looking for a second or a third because that contract situation and his salary is just going to be through the roof for teams to pay and obviously with the salary cap this year flatlining and not going up because of covid a lot of teams can't afford it or can't afford him. and you saw veteran players you know not get re-signed or get cut by teams because they aren't able to afford them you J.J. Watt, prime example. Prime example of that. Uh, Kyle Van Noya, the Miami Dolphins, another prime example. That's why he's back in town. And a shot uh, got blocked. Okay. So this article from Bleacher Report from Joseph Zucker, the headline of the article says, or the title, Julio Jones trade rumors. Falcons would accept, quote, hard second-round draft pick. If they're accepting a hard second round draft pick every damn team should be in on the Julio jones sweep sweep stakes right now obviously you got to move stuff around and not every team can afford them that's why Julio jones is so hard for some teams to obtain there's also been a report that you know a team a mystery team offered a straight one a 2022 one. Now, obviously, the Falcons aren't going to make this deal done or public at least until June 1st because that's when the whole bonus and all the dead money gets you know shifted and, and whatnot. Power play is up, and I don't think the Bruins got a legitimate goal. Okay, so let me read this article. A second-round pick might be enough to snag Julio Jones from the Atlanta Falcons. NBC Sports' Peter King reported the Falcons are looking to trade in which they wouldn't be on would be on the hook for any of the $38 million he still owed in base salaries. Quote, I was told a while ago by a source, I trust the Falcons would accept a hard second-round pick in 2022, no condition on Jones's playing time, with no responsibility to pay Jones any of the $38 million he has coming. End quote. King wrote. Now, obviously, there's nothing that they can do about the bonuses or the dead money, that's just how it is, hence why they have to wait for June 1st, so that dead money is not so steep. I went over the math last week. We all know it. We all understand it. ESPN's Diana Rossini reported at least one team, that mystery team, has included a 2022 first-rounder in a trade package for the seven-time Pro Bowler. King spoke to a general manager. I don't know if it's the same one or a different one, but a general manager However, who questioned whether if that was an option for the Falcons right now? Now, I'm going to assume, going off script, I'm going to assume that this mystery team that offered a first-round pick was like, we want Julio right now. And the Falcons weren't just going to do it because of the whole dead money. They would be $40 million in dead money. They're not going to want to take that on for this year when they're trying to trade Julio Jones to open money up on their on their books for the salary cap. That team was probably like, first-round pick for Julio Jones right now, or it's off the table. And that could be why they're settling for a second-round pick because no one's going to offer a 32-wide receiver coming off a hamstring injury this year. You know, a first-round pick because I personally think teams don't value a wide receiver that highly. And I think the package that the Browns gave for Odell Beckham Jr. at that time was probably high it was like Jabriel peppers a first round pick and i think a fourth round pick i think even that was high deandre hopkins was traded for a second round pick and david johnson i mean when healthy odell beckham jr maybe like that second tier class of wide receivers obviously julio jones deandre hopkins ah Devonte adams maybe could be a top three wide receivers in the NFL, and I think Odell Beckham Jr. is in that second tier group right there. Uh, can we get another one here? Oh no. Taylor Hall almost had another goal. Oh, well, not another goal, but a goal. And I think we just hit the uh, the pipe too. I think we just hit the pipe. But yes, continuing with the article. Quote: If Atlanta had that offer, they've made they've they'd have made the deal in just said we'll announce it next week the gm said now that could be very true but i feel like something like that would have you know slipped out by now king uh king's report also aligns somewhat with pro football talks mike florio reported sunday florio reported some around the nfl believe the tennessee titans will send a second round pick to atlanta for jones at this point jones's exit feels inevitable which it more than likely is whether he was aware he was speaking publicly on cable television there's probably no going back after he left no doubt on undisputed about his desire to leave if anyone hasn't seen the video yet shannon sharp the co-host of undisputed on fs1 called julio jones because he was in in a discussion argument with skip bayless the other co-host and he called him was like hey are you are you out of atlanta he was like yeah i'm out now, obviously, FS1 is in a dispute with California laws about that, you know, whether, oh, who is? is Marchand's got the breakaway? Oh, it is not time to buffer. It is not time to buffer the game right now. Now, there's no idea if we know Julio Jones was in on it or not, but that is something to consider as well. If <sighs> I am the Patriots real quick before I finish this article, which actually it just talks about money, but there's another piece I want to get into. If I'm the Patriots right now, a second-round pick should be nothing. It should. You gave up a damn second-round pick to that same Atlanta Falcons team for Mohamed Sanu. Yes, younger, and yes, cheaper, but come on. Come on. The hell is that noise? I think Kim's doing something. I don't know. So real quick, I also saw out on the Twitter machine and maybe Instagram, I don't remember, might have been the whole tweeter. But I heard that the Patriots have offered a second-round pick and Sonny Michelle for Julio Jones. Now, I think the only thing that's stopping that is that Bill Belichick wants a little bit of reconstruction on Julio Jones's contract, and I don't know if Julio Jones is willing to do that or if the Falcons are willing to take on more money than what is on... What is just they would have to uh, give for the the um, dead money. I don't think Atlanta wants to take any more. So they're just going to be like, hell no. We'll just hold out until we get an offer that we want. Now we've heard that the Titans, we've heard the Seahawks, we've heard the Broncos, the 49ers, they're all in on him. But they don't have the money. Continuing with the article, the um, the Titans, for example, don't have $15.3 million in salary cap space. They only have $3.6 million to assume all of his guaranteed money right now. According to Rossini, the Seattle Seahawks have also weighed a move for Jones with him and Russell Wilson, already talking about the potential collaboration. Like the Titans, the Seahawks would need to free up a lot of cash since they just have $4.7 million in cap space. Giving up a second rounder for the wideout who has named to the Pro Bowl, Hall of Fames, all 2010s team is a no-brainer. When healthy... Jones has been one of the most consistent and productive pass catchers in the NFL, which I've mentioned. But that second rounder isn't the only cost that would be associated with a move for him this season. It is hard for a team to trade for a contract that Julio Jones has because $15.3 million is what he's going to be due in 2021. A lot of teams don't have that because contract extensions from players that they previously had, you know, the draft players they've already brought in, you know, players getting paid more at the flatline of the salary cap due to COVID, all those factors, a lot of teams can't afford them. The Patriots are one. (sighs) Don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, I, I really think that, you know, Patriots, I don't think are, you know, betting against themselves or anything like that because I think there's only a few teams that actually have the available the, the cap space to do it. But if they just want a second rounder. I mean obviously the Patriots I think have to make a minor move to fit, but it'll fit nonetheless. Good defense boys. Oh what a save by Tuke. Oh what a save by Tuka. But I just you make a small move, you, you either you know trade a couple guys, get a couple picks back, or you know release a couple guys. You do whatever you have to do to bring in Julio Jones if it is only a second round pick and sony michelle you make that move give them a goddamn fourth round pick for all i care i don't care you bring that guy in period you bring in julio jones period so we are just about 50 minutes in a relatively good episode today i think bruins are on kind of reacting to him seven and change left to go here in the first period still up one nothing shots seven to three in their favor i really think that the bruins look good in this game so far i don't think they've been the physical aggressor that we saw in game one but the defense is still there the offense looks really good there they are on a breakout right now come on it's a three on four. four oh good save okay taylor hall took a shot varlamov with the save but guys, that's going to wrap it up. I really appreciate appreciate everyone who downloads, listens, and enjoys Murph's Boston Sports Talk. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, thoughts, opinions, anything you want to chat about, discuss, whatever, reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for sports talk, just because I ran out of characters in the username handle. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please leave a link. If you enjoyed, uh, please leave a like, excuse me, if you enjoyed this video. uh, Comment down below your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, whatever it may be. And if you're new to the channel or haven't considered yet, please consider subscribing as that would also be greatly appreciated. I'm really excited for the Bruins game too. I hope you are as well. And come hump day, I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, we will have, hopefully, a 2-0 to talk about. Maybe a game six for the Celtics to talk about. I, I don't know. I don't know. Or we could be talking about, you know, exit Celtics conversation as we break down the game and look ahead to the offseason. But we'll just have to wait for tomorrow's game for them. But right now, in this moment right now, you know exactly what I'm doing. You know exactly what I'm enjoying. And that's some... <laughs> Between now and then, guys, I'm going to catch you in the next one. But you know that I love you, and I will see ya.